We just came off the series in Hebrews where we spent a, a number, like nine weeks, I think, going through each of those things of the better than. And if you think about it, the Old Testament is really a picture, God using your imagination to see what was to come in Jesus. And so we're going to be talking about this and, and, and be looking at specifically this idea of, of uh, just imagine. Imagine a church that does whatever it takes so imagine church that does whatever it takes to serve this West Metro area in the name of Christ. We're going to be kind of looking at that and we're going to be talking about that. And, and, and as we do that, I would love for you to stand and hear these words. Let's, let's stand together in Ephesians chapter 3 because Paul is praying a prayer. And sometimes when we pray, we, we kind of are trying to help people, not as we communicate to God, to imagine what really is, what could be. And so he says in verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father from, every, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Which is an interesting thing because in the Greek he says pater and pateria, which is, is the two same words meaning father and family that cohere. So it makes real sense when he says which every person derives its name. Just so imagine that, that, that all people are created by a father. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp with your heart, imagination, the eyes of your heart, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, it's not just information. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now I'm going to ask you to read this last part together because he kind of concludes and we start with the word now. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Paul prays that by faith we will get a picture in our hearts, but not just a picture that we'll actually experience, that we'll actually know, not just in information, but we'll know with regard to this in a sense that it captures every part of our being, the reality of the love that God has for us. And then to understand that when we begin to understand how loved we are, we will be loving others and that power of God would be released that could transform and change the hearts of others as we serve those around us. That we will see his power and love at work in us and through us. And he says kind of at the end, kind of ask for this and try and imagine this. Imagine a church where God works through you with such powerful love. And what you actually picture, you're not able to capture with your imagination. It's so much greater than what we could ever imagine. What I want to do is kind of share with you this morning, uh, just to kind of move into this whole idea. We're going to be looking at this little phrase. And what does it mean to imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve this West Metro area in the name of Christ? And, I, and in doing so, as we look at this today, imagine a church, I, we have to deal with the imagination, and so I'm going to ask three basic questions. 
And, and the questions are around the, the aspect, is the imagination a gift? And if this is a gift, what is the potential that the imagination has? And then what does it mean if God has it and has your imagination? And see, one of the problems in talking about imagination today is that people, just like that little video there of little kids, it's, it's confusing. And there are some people who are actually afraid of this whole idea of imagination. Because in our culture, there is some concern and there is some reason to be cautious and not to, to just jump into it when you start talking about things about the imagination because it has been used in ways not only within our culture but even in the church in ways that have been detrimental. And so people have this sense of, I'm going to either kind of avoid it or because of the confusion around it or I'm going to actually stand against the use of it because of the fear that they have of how it's been abused and misused. And, and there's truth that, that, that this is true in our culture. For instance, the self-help movement. You can just fill, go into a store and you can see it lined with these books. And, and they will say, if you can conceive it, you can achieve it. Have you ever heard that before? Now, there's reality to a degree on every one of these things, if you can visualize. I was talking to one of our uh, guys who was in our service in the first service who was captain of the Gopher hockey team, and he said, boy, when I was in high school, I had a coach who taught me how to visualize, and man, did that make a difference in my game, and I've used it now in my work that he's doing, and it's really true. There's something really positive about it, but there's something you've got to be wary of, and it's something we need to be aware of. Because in the self-help movement, when you talk about if you conceive it, you, you can achieve it, there are some limitations. It's a really good thing to tell your child that your imagination is profound and can do amazing things, but it's a little bit different to say your imagination is limitless, you can do whatever you want. So, for instance, I can stand up here and, and tell you that in my imagination, I'd really like to conceive, and I have conceived that I'm going to be as good as LeBron James and Steph Curry. And, and you're, you're laughing, and I know because I know you know how good my basketball abilities are and my build and skills. And I could imagine that and seek to conceive that all day long. How many here think I'm going to achieve it? Besides me, you see, yeah. Well, there we go. We got someone on my side. Good. Um, you see, that's that's where some people go. That's confusing. I don't I don't understand this thing of imagination. In fact, I'm a little bit concerned. Or, or you can move to this area where it's this happening in the majority world. Through I, I was at a conference that I was helping um, uh, lead this last spring, and, and one of the persons there. It's really of all these missionaries called a, a group called Langham Partnership, and they came in. And one of the things they said is that spreading rapidly in some of the third world majority world is this what is kind of health wealth a prosperity kind of doctrine. And I understand the fact, there's, again, there's an aspect of it that says you're not to be locked in poverty. God didn't make you to be impoverished, but at the same time, he didn't, he didn't call you just to be wealthy. It's not about wealth. And, and there's this idea, and it's been floating around. If you, you know, it's this idea, if you can believe it, you can receive it. And, and it'll even say, Jesus even said that. He says, believe and you shall receive, Right? So shouldn't we go after it? In reality, when you think about it and you get real about the scripture, you see that Jesus himself, the goal wasn't prosperity. It was to be broken from everything that would bind you and it was to become all that God wanted you to be. So Jesus himself did did not have a place to rest his head and when he died had only a garment of, of, of any measure of wealth to his name. And so I understand that. I understand that, that the imagination can be kind of a, um, something that we can be afraid of. In fact, the Bible, as you go through the word of God and you look up this idea of imagination, the Bible actually stands against the improper use of this where it can be abused. And, and so the key is how you use your imagination. Psalm 73, verse 7. 
talks about the evil use of the imagination. It says, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. And if you note this, the psalmist is not saying the imagination is bad. He's saying the imagination that is trending towards evil, that no longer has any boundaries, but continues to go from one boundary over another boundary over another boundary. I was reading um, just a few weeks back about um, what was happening in the, in the pornographic industry today, and there are actually are actors and actresses or whatever in that group that are now standing up against another boundary because there's a whole new thing, and I, don't even, I can't even talk about it. It's that bad. But I think that's what he's saying in Psalms. It's people who are imagining ways to do more and more. Their their evil imaginations have no limits. Isaiah 65, verses 1 and 3, describes not only an evil, but the selfish use. Because you can use it selfishly. He says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. This is God speaking. And I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not Call on my name. I said, here I am, here I am. And all day long I've held up my hands to an obstinate people who walk in the ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. People who continually provoke me to my very face. One other scripture is Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 12, where it's a self-centered use. In fact, people using their imagination in order to get things they want. And so he says at one point, Son of man, prophesy, speak forth the word of God to the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Prophesying, um, it, it, this whole idea of having a prophetic word, is basically God will speak through a word or you'll see a picture or an image. And, and what happens, it, it plays on that in your heart. You see it and then you, you speak it forth. Well, what's happening here with these prophets, they, they're seeing what they want to see. They're picturing in their own mind what they want for themselves, and they're speaking that forth. So he says to them, say to those who prophesy out of their own imaginations, hear the word of the Lord. But I'm going to share with you, because a gift can be misused and it can be abused, it does not mean in any way that it should be discarded or feared or avoided. Dr. Gordon Fee, who was at Wheaton College um, when I was there and then Gordon went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, he puts it this way in, in a book called God's Empowering Presence. He writes, Despite the fact that ministries of the Spirit can be abused in the Christian community, Paul's own deep appreciation for the central role of the Spirit in individual and corporate life will not allow for correcting abuse by commanding disuse. You can find that in Thessalonians, you can find in Corinthians. So often he will command, and he doesn't command disuse. Here's what he says. Rather, the antidote for abuse is proper use. Are you going to use this in ways that God intended for it to be used? So take anger, for example. Let's use this as just a common um, example of something that is a gift of God. But a lot of people go, how can anger be a gift of God? Because in our culture, we usually see it in misused and abused, Right? But really, when you just break down what anger is and you talk to um, uh, those who have, you know, understandings around psychology and, and, and science and things like that, it is just a, it is energy, lots of energy. So neutralize it that way. It's neither good nor bad, but it's just energy. The problem that we have is so often when we use our anger, we don't use our anger in the way God intended it. Our anger is usually used in ways to intimidate, to get something we want, 
We've experienced that, right? You can, in a work world or, or, or with even a, a, someone that you um, have in your family, they can use their anger to get what they want. Or we also experience it in another way that, it, that I think is also very difficult, and that is that we, we, we use it when we feel hurt and we lash out and we get this energy that, that in a sense, like you get hit or somehow hurt or wounded, and you want to wound back. And it's just energy that's coming up, and it happens like this so quickly that the process is so quick that we don't even think about it, it just comes out. But if you look at Jesus, he used this gift of anger. He didn't discard it, he didn't didn't misuse it, he didn't abuse it, he properly used it. Because throughout the word of God, you'll find that Jesus from time to time will use this energy we call anger in a way that's really positive. So that when little children are coming around him, his disciples are trying to keep them from doing it. You know, and and this kid's coming. He, He used his energy and said, hey, don't do that, stop it. Those are the ones, those who are humble, I've asked for them to come. Or one time when he was um, in, a, in a synagogue and he was teaching and he saw a person sitting there with a shriveled hand and in his heart he knew what God wanted to do. He always is a God who loves to heal. He's a God who loves to come in where you've been wounded and where you've been hurt. And if you're there this morning, God's heart for you is not to keep you in a place of wounding. He is in here to heal you. And so he looks out and he sees the shriveled hand, but he knows that through the Pharisees who are trying to withhold religious laws for their own sake, it says, in anger, out of anger, he used that energy and he healed that person. Or when you come to the temple, here is Jesus, he comes to the temple, and, and outside the temple, there is a ring where the people who were not Jews, who were Gentiles, seekers of God, would come, and that was their place to worship God. But as he comes into the temple one day, he goes through and he sees there are money changers everywhere. How in the world? You know, they're bringing chickens and goats. It'd be like if you're trying to worship God and you have all this stuff in here. And what does Jesus do? He comes and he turns it all over because he did not want people separated from God. He used his energy, we call anger, in a way that was useful to help others. Modern day example is like mad, mothers against drunk driving. Person who lost their daughter's life and turned around instead of being angry and going in and becoming um, um, something that was... Um, that destroyed her own life through wanting revenge and wanting to hurt, took that energy and did something that would, in in, in many ways, help lives be saved. So I say all that because this gift of imagination is really something that we need to understand as a gift. And it's something that God has called us to use in that way. And I could give all kinds of different examples of wealth or money and, 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 and other things in life that, that God says you need to use as a gift, but people misuse. And so you get to a point where you go, yeah, I just want to avoid that. Or I not only avoid it, some people go, it's been so misused, they, they come against it. And the point is this, even though the gift can be misabused, misused and abused, it is one's, one of God's greatest gifts given to us. Basically, imagination is vision plus thinking. It's actually using your mind to picture something that could be. Think about that. It's using your mind to picture something that could be. So in Proverbs 23, 7, there's a verse that says, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is, which is a King James translation of that which is basically the idea is saying is what we get consumed with in our hearts, in our imagination, our minds, is where we are at. And he talks, he's talking here about food. Author Carrie Romaine writes about this incredible gift. She says, everything is created three times. Think about this. Everything's created three times. First in thought, 
then in belief, and finally in manifestation. If you look around you, pick an object like a chair. Or let's think of this new building we're going to be putting up and the stuff we're doing around here. He says, that object or chair is, is created as an idea and a thought in someone's imagination first. And it's in their mind, they put it on paper, and then they believe that this can actually be built. Hopefully you've got qualified people around that imagination. And, and they come together, they, they, together they believe it, and then they believe it so that they bring it to a congregation. And the congregation says, yeah, that's really good. And they believe it by investing in it. And eventually, the, the third step is it shows up at some point. Right? People build it. I was reading about this as I was studying for this series, and, and one of the things I came across was a person who had really um, gone to that place where he was avoiding and, and not using, in fact, really afraid of his imagination. He says, when I was a new Jewish believer in Jesus, okay, so that's kind of an interesting little twist. I was a new Jewish believer in Jesus. I avoided anything related to the supernatural power of God, like the imagination, meditation, and even spiritual gifts. And he, he continues, he says, you might ask Why? Because it reminded me of what I had experienced during my time in the New Age movement. I had seen healing, meditation, and answered prayer by New Agers. And I wanted nothing to do with anything like that in Christianity. And as a result, the devil had me trapped in deception both before I turned to Jesus, and then had me trapped and powerless after I came to Jesus. Gradually, as my mind was renewed by the word of God, which um, we say here, we are people of the word and the spirit. We really believe. And, and I'm so excited. We had a whole group of people go through this cover to cover where they've really understood the word of God. And I can't believe how many have come up and said how that has helped them understand their faith. So he says, my mind was renewed by the word of God. I realize the devil is not original. He's really good at counterfeit. He doesn't make counterfeit $3 bills, right? Because no one's going for those. But he'll make counterfeit 20s and 100s. And he made this statement, just because the devil imitates the power of God does not mean that we should reject the power of God. Christianity devoid of the supernatural is just another religion. So he basically is making the point Don't be afraid of the power of God. And don't be afraid of your imagination. Don't be afraid of your mind and and to be able to meditate and things like that on Scripture. There are things that God has given us that we're called to use. So the question is really critical here. And that is, if that is a gift, then let's look at this gift. Because you need to understand. Here's the second question. Do you actually understand how much potential God has given you with this gift? And what the proper use of this gift can do? And, and here's what's so interesting is we all use that gift every day and we may not even be aware of it. In fact, there are others who are using the gift, your gift, throughout the day. They are flooding your mind with images because you're really, you're, your imagination is just your mind. It's like a mental screen. And they're giving you images all day long through all kinds of media, whether it be something you watch in a movie, or whether you see on TV, or whether you see it in, in a periodical, or you see it in a magazine, whatever it is. There are people who are giving you images all day long. So I was thinking about the potential of this. And I was doing some research, and I was looking at the ways you could talk about how powerful it is. And it got kind of long and laborious and technical and all the rest, but they gave you figures and percentages. I thought I could do that, but then I thought, you know, might be just as easy 
to let you experience it. And, and the way to do that is, is when I'm even talking right now, you're using your mind to imagine in your mind sometimes pictures of even what I'm saying. So I could be talking to you about something. I could talk to you about, let's say, for instance, a, a mother who was in Iraq for seven months. And in that seven-month period, she was separated from her daughter. She missed her daughter, wanted to come home and see her daughter. She couldn't wait till the day she saw her. And when she saw her, she was just overwhelmed. Or you could look at a picture like this. Or I remember when I was doing work for Food for the Hungry and we would talk to people and we'd talk about how clean water was really important. Food for the Hungry is just a Christian relief and development organization. And I'd tell people that at least 1.8 billion people around the world use drinking water from sources that are contaminated. Just think about that. 1.8 billion people around the world can't go to a fountain, can't go to the sink and grab clean water. And they would look at me like you do, or I could show them a picture like this. That is like that all around the world in different ways. Or I could share with you a picture then in your mind of maybe two brothers. I have an older brother who um, maybe can't take a joke and, you know, share a joke and and, and they just kind of like lighten up. Or I could share a picture like this. Dude, I'm joking. You're not adopted. (laughs) I love how the one is just like, ah, this is the best in the world. You probably wonder if you just pinched him or something, right? You know, because we talk about it, because words are great, but pictures, we say pictures create, they, 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 how many words? I think it's a ton more than that. Because the world around us has understood how important it is that the imagination is used, and they use it all the time, whether you like it or not, because in doing so, they evoke emotions, and those emotions, if they cause you to to be stirred at all, cause you to care about it, which is a sense of believing and moving towards it, so that you'll do something. And it can be used in all kinds of ways. Our imagination is so powerful. That it can be used to do tremendous good. That's why businesses use it. That's why I was telling you that an athlete, they visualize. He said he had a trainer that helped him do that. And it was just amazing how his game got better. Because it can be really helpful. Governments do that. They help people picture something. Military. All kinds of different places. Vision statements are just statements of words on paper. Unless you can get them to a place that people see it with their eyes. And they all come around and go, that is what I'm giving my heart to. It stirs my emotions and it causes me to say, I'm going to move into that. I believe this is a good thing and I'm going to act on it. So back in, in, in uh, years back when there was the space race going on and, and Kennedy as president was, was concerned because Russia had just put up a, space, a, a rocket that went around the earth a couple times. And Some of you have seen that in the movie Hidden Figures recently, um, and I may uh, refer to this a little bit later. But during that time, there was such fear and such concern that we were falling behind, and if we fell behind there, it would mean we could in some ways be bound to their technological advances in and so we have to get ahead of the curve on this. So they brought a team together at NASA, put someone in place. And people were wondering what was going on. So a reporter was sent down at a certain point in, in that development of the rocket, which they were hoping to use to get out of space and eventually put someone uh, on the moon. And the guy went around and he was asking different people um, the question, basically, what do you do here? 
And so he was kind of doing that from time to time. He'd go into different departments. And one day he was walking down the aisle and he saw a guy down the hallway and he saw a guy walking this way with him, just dressed in the NASA outfit. And he just said, so what do you do here? And he said, I put a man on the moon. Yeah, I get that. He goes, but so what do you particularly do? He said, I'm a custodian. Because all the way from custodians to engineers to scientists to everyone, they had a picture of what they were after and they were going to go for it and they gave themselves to it and they put their energy into doing something and it did something. And then you think about it this way and you think of the imagination and when it comes together, it can do incredible evil. It can do things that are really, really contrary to the purposes of God. Do you know that in Genesis chapter 11, it's, one, it's, a, it's a passage of scripture I love. Because what you have is you have a group of people, as they've been moving along through history, as Genesis records, they come to a place where they're all living together. God said, be fruitful, increase, multiply, and go to the ends of the earth. They stuck together. They were one people with with one language, and they were all together around um, a common plan. And Genesis 11 says they came together to build a tower called Babel. And in that Tower of Babel, the purpose for building it was they wanted to make a name for themselves. And so what you don't really understand is if you read some of the texts, some of the things that were going on at that time is they were learning at that time. God gave them the ability to conceive. Because here's the thing about God. The imagination is a gift to everyone. It falls on the just and the unjust, just like rain does. And he gave this imagination, and here they come together. And as they build this thing, they had learned at that time to put bricks together in such a way that before, when they would do it, they could only get a couple stories. But now they were able to, because of the way they kiln these bricks and put them together and some of the material that they used, that they conceived of, they made this, and they started building this unto themselves. And here's what I think is really interesting. Listen to what God says in Genesis chapter 11, verse 5. But the Lord came down to see this city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Think about that. That's from the lips of God. If one people speaking the same language have begun to do this, then nothing they imagine and plan to do will be impossible for them. But God is good and God is gracious and he will never let the evil come there. So he's constantly stepping in to disrupt our evil plans. He's constantly stepping in because of, out of love, giving us an opportunity to turn to him. And some do and some don't. You may be in that place right now. You may be in a place where God has brought some things in your life and you've been kind of running on your own and you're here and you're saying, God, I, I, I think I need you. And you know what? He wants you. He loves you. He cares about you. He desires to take you and your imagination and to use it for his purposes to make a difference in the world around you. Because our imaginations are so incredibly powerful, they can call people together towards an end, and it can be good or it can be bad. And I got thinking about this. What if you answered this question? Do you understand what God could do if you gave your imagination to him? 
Now, you may have never thought of it in this way before. And you said, yeah, I've given my heart to him. I've given my soul. I've given my life. And yet, he says to give every part over. And sometimes it's good to break the things of the whole down into the parts. Because some of you said, yeah, I've given my, my finances and my wealth over to him. And some of you haven't. And God wants to be planning with you to do great things. Some of you have said, I've, I've given over my family. And I, I want my family. We had seven kids um, dedicated this last Sunday who were up here. And, 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 and their commitment was, God, here is this little one. I give it as a gift to you. But what if God was saying this morning, and you've never done this, and he said, I would love for you to dedicate over this part of who you are to me in a way that you will say, God, I'm going to allow the images and pictures to come into my heart and my mind that bring honor to you. And more than that, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to start giving me thoughts and pictures that are revealed from you to do things that you want done. You've wired me, you've given me gifts, you've put me together in such a way and, 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 and given me passions and you've given, and, and have you ever said, boy, put all these things together and God, I've never really stopped and just said, God, what is it? Give me some picture of uh, and some thought of what you want that to be. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head. And uh, the sermon's not done, so just get, don't get nervous like we're going to quit right now. But anyway, but I do want you to just, if you would bow your head. And if you've never done that, and if you want to say, Jesus, I, I, I just, I understand for the first time, this is not something to be afraid of. I don't need to avoid it any longer. It's this incredible gift that, that can unleash incredible power. There's so much potential. Jesus, I, I just ask you to take my imagination. And I'm, I'm dedicating this to you. And if that's your heart, just in your own way, in your own mind, in your own heart, just, just tell, tell Jesus that. Jesus loves you. Just say, Jesus, here's my imagination. Um, and many times it's just a blank, blank canvas and I, I want you to have it. And then I come along, Lord Jesus, and I just say with these blank imaginations, these screens that are there before you, would you speak your word into it? As, as people take your word and read your word, as people come into um, places where they sing your word, where, they, where they're with you, or where they just come and they just meditate and they just are quiet before you, would you just reveal either pictures or words of what you want for their life and what you want for their family or what you maybe want for their business or, or what you want with the use of their gifts in ministry. If you've done that and, and, and you say, God, I want you to do that, I'm going to ask you also, in, in the spirit of prayer, I'm going to ask you to say, Jesus, I... One of the things you can do is to take time, like when you are quiet before the Lord. If you haven't been doing it, I'm going to ask you just for this week, would you just be quiet before the Lord? Or maybe take a three-by-five card and write on it, God, I just open, I've dedicated my imagination to you, now fill it with things that you want me to see. And just pay attention to it. Father, we um, individually come before you with our imaginations and say, please, consecrate them for your purposes and your good. It is one of the most incredible gifts you've given us and we're grateful for it. Amen.
I'm going to ask if you would through the week or if you did even now as we were sitting here, if God put something on your heart, I'd love to hear from you about it. But I want to go one step further and not just about your individual because really one of the things you should be doing is saying, God, give me a picture of what could be. And, and, and we really, we do this in simple ways. One of the things you can do individually for your life is, you know, we, do, we will do funerals here and, and, and there will be a casket there. And one of the things that I, I often do at a funeral is it's an opportunity for people to picture because they all have things in their heart about the person, to picture if you were there and what would be in the hearts of other people. One of the great kind of things is to, is to picture your life at the end and say, what does it want to look like? And some of you can say, you've got families, young families. Picture your family 10 years from now. What do you want it to look like? What do you, where do you want your kids to be? What are the steps you need to take to get there? But I want to share with you, and this is where I'm off sermon script. I said this in the first service, so I have no idea how God will use us or what he's going to do. But I, I have had for a number of years this picture in my heart, in my imagination. And when I was at a church, God began to do some of this. And then he just, it, through a whole series of things, it got closed down. And, and God kind of just, I just let it go. And I just had journaled years, about it, uh, years ago about it and done a lot of work around this. And then for the last almost... 17 years, I think it is. I just haven't really done with it much with it until just about a few months ago. And God and God started opening doors. And, and it's all around this little vision that I would love to ask you to be thinking about and praying about and where God will fit it in and, and how he fits it in with our, our church body. But I, I, can, I started asking that question of what if, God, every believer in this certain geographic area. Every believer um, came together, kind of let go of denominational stuff, and, and instead of being up in the trees like monkeys, you know, fighting one another. One of the great things about the Reformation is it gave us a Reformation back to the gospel of faith and grace. One of the things it also did is it caused everything to keep dividing out and dividing out. Even at that time, people were killing people because they were baptizing infants versus not. Horrible stuff. And, and, and so what if we weren't fighting up in the trees, but we came down around the core? Now, there are people who sort by the same are going to go, yeah, this is great. So the by difference are going to have all kinds of questions, which is fine. You'll help it happen. But what if you came around the core and did what we've been saying? Imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve this West Metro in the name of Christ. Imagine a community of people using their imaginations together, saying, God... We'll do whatever it takes to serve like Jesus served. I mean, our prayer is that as Jesus served, you know, he had opportunity to share the gospel, he had opportunity to transform lives and things, but instead of trying us to transform, we'll do the thing we can do, and that's to serve and to do it in the name of Christ. And what if we came around the trunk of the tree with believers? Just imagine every believer in certain areas, and, and that happening in, in locations, as, as people got a vision for it, happening all around the city, and then all around the state, and then all around the country. Just imagine believers around the trunk of the tree of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. What I think was what grabbed my heart, which has grabbed a number of people's hearts, because there's a lot of people who have been thinking this way, and, and, and God, when it happened 17 years ago, I think was kind of saying, I need to slow things down, because in order for this kind of thing to happen, it, it, there's things that have got to catch up. And some of you who know something that you want, that God has placed in your heart, one of the hardest things to do is wait. Anybody like that word? 
And, and that's one that I wasn't crazy about, but God said, you know what, you've got to wait. And so John 17 is this interesting passage of Scripture because think about it. Jesus is giving his last prayer. It's the last recorded prayer. And if someone is on their deathbed and they're giving your last words, those are usually pretty weighty words, right? They're not kind of like when you make sure you take the milk out of the refrigerator. They're, they're things of significance and gravity. So here is Jesus speaking to his father with his disciples around I think, giving them a picture in their imagination of what he desires will be. And he says this in John 17. I was sharing this with someone this last week, and and they said to me, you know, I was sharing all this stuff, and they said, and when I came to this, they go, oh, Jesus wanted this? I said, yeah. He goes, well, then I can do it. So he says at one point, my prayer is not for them alone. He's praying for his disciples. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. You see, God is the one who we're just so much like him in his image. He conceives of things, but God's really great because he doesn't even have to go through the belief state because when he conceives it, he believes it, and he then creates it, right? So God conceived and he creates and speaks into reality or into flesh. Here's Jesus, a picture of who Jesus is. And Jesus says, I've been sent by the Father. You see me, you love me. Now I'm hoping that you who have believed in me, there will be others who will believe in this picture of of who God is and in the reality of who he is in Jesus. And then he says this. He says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and and you in... I in them and you in me. And then catch this sentence. His last prayer. This has got to be pretty weighty. May they come, be brought to complete unity. And here's the why. To let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Even as you have loved me. I just think of that and those lines just, just, I go, could you imagine the church coming together, believers setting things aside around the name of Jesus, celebrating our unity with the desire in our heart to do nothing more more than to bless our community. One church, celebrating our unity and blessing our community. And you got all kinds of questions, what does it look like and things, and and I just just want you to imagine that. And and then to imagine, is there a place to be in in this ministry and in what God's calling you? What is God calling us as a church? It may not be in that, but it may be in other things. But what is God calling you to do? And I love those words, that, that, that they would know that you sent me there's something powerful that happens when believers stand together in unity because Satan hates it. What is the one thing Satan wants to do more than anything is keep people divided, whether it's in your marriage, your family, in churches, or church in other churches and believers. But when I think Jesus knew something we don't know, that when we come together as one, here's what I love about the story of Babel. What's he do? He confuses their languages so they cannot communicate to one another. But what happens in Acts when the Spirit of God comes? People get these languages and they speak different languages, but they have one language because God is so desiring to bring together his people in such a way by his Spirit with all these differences in a way that when he does it, people are going to look and go, Jesus is responsible for this. And I get so excited about it. I, um, 
I have other things I want to share with you, but I think I'll just leave it there today. Um, and I, I think I'll just leave it with, with this statement, and I'll ask you to stand as I read this, okay? Someone said, you know, really enjoy the message for a service, and I go, oh, I don't know what the second will be like because I'm off script. Um, uh, here's, here's what Paul said. I, I love this. Paul says, And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints. I want you to imagine so deeply, and I want you to experience so deeply to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So filled with this love that it begins to spill out of you wherever you go at work, in your family. God's love begins to fill you. The only thing that changes hearts is, is you are changed and blessed by God with his love. You cannot help if you're going to walk in Christ, begin to bless and love others. And then Paul, looking at this immeasurably rich and more than capable God, listen to what he continues to state. He says, God is able, this God is able and capable to handle anything in your life, anything that concerns you. He not only loves us with a love that surpasses knowledge, but he is more than capable to care, provide, heal, forgive, and supply your every need. Which causes Paul to become ecstatic with this God who loves us and is able and is more than capable, so that he has to end his prayer with this. And I want you to, there's so many superlatives in here, you have to hear this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's basically saying this more than capable God can do what you ask. And follow this. In fact, he goes further. He says, this more than capable God can do more than what you ask. And yet, he doesn't stop there. He says, this more than capable God can do immeasurably more than what you ask. But then he goes on, there's more. He says, this more than capable God can do immeasurably more than all you ask. You're kind of going, well, okay, when are you going to get this? It seems almost limitless. And then he says, and yet, that's not enough. You're more than capable God. You've got to hear this. This is your God. Get a picture, a vision of who this God is, who he is for you and for this church. You're more than capable God. Your capable, loving God can do immeasurably more than all you ask and imagine. Amen.